Welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We are your hosts, Parker Dolman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 198. Woo! Woohoo! Getting close to 200. So it's been a while since uh, it's just been you and I. Yeah, we had a whole flurry of, of guests come in through our doors. And hopefully we'll have more. Yes, hopefully. I mean, not hopefully. We already have more plans. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not like we've exhausted the backlog. No. <laughs> so because of that, you've accomplished so many things, and so have I, right, in that amount of time that we had. <laughs> I can't even finish the sentence. I can't. No. So, yeah, I don't think we've really worked too much on our electronic projects. I think it's... Hey, speak for yourself. I've thought about mine. You thought about... <laughs> I wish I did. Um, I did get some work done over the last couple of weeks on on Pentatar. Um, so I'm still working on Rev2. I think last time I said I was about to order it, uh, order Rev2, but I did uh, hold off on that because I'm waiting for kind of like some more testing for Rev1. Because you actually have, correct me if I'm wrong, but you actually have one in a machine somewhere, right? Yes, it's actually being, uh, it's in a machine right now being tested and like, doing pinball things nice so uh, i kind of going to wait till a little bit more on that gets gets flushed out like we start using more of the peripherals on it make sure everything's working um and then yeah i'm going to pull the trigger on rev 2 if there's any changes it should be pretty good um i'm probably going to move the two ounce copper uh for the pcbs because uh two ounce four layers mainly for just extra current capacity on the lines, even though everything is specced correctly for one ounce. It's just one of those just in case, um, uh, in case, it, you know, it's in an environment that gets too hot. You know, it's an enclosure with that that doesn't have any ventilation in it. Hmm. Um, you, you know, uh, I've got a quick side tangent, actually, because that kind of reminds me. Um, so if when when ordering a pcb uh you know the the standard mm -hmm. that you that most people like when you could just get a generic quote it's it's for one ounce copper on the out out layers and then half ounce on the internal layers correct or half ounce or one ounce on the internal layers it depends on the manufacturer but yeah uh one thing that that we actually ran into ah gosh a handful of months ago if if you do go with a different uh, or a, th a thicker outside uh, copper layer, you really should pay attention to your uh, solder paste apertures. It's a little bit different with uh, Macrofab because Macrofab has a paste jetter and you can adjust things on the fly. But the uh, your solder paste deposit actually matters a lot more because the thicker copper on the outside, when it's actually etched, um, can have like trapezoidal, slightly mm -hmm. trapezoidal shapes. And, uh, and it doesn't heat the same as one ounce copper. So your apertures do actually have to adjust for that. So just keep that in mind if you're if you're thinking about going, oh, like, I'm just going to double my copper. Like there's impacts to that, even though like it doesn't necessarily like your your PCB software a lot of times doesn't really think about that. It just, mm -hmm. oh, I'm going to do a what a 20 percent aperture reduction or whatever. Like, but it doesn't ask you, you know, what's your copper thickness? I'll make adjustments for you. Or at least the software I have it. So. so what would be, if you're doing a stencil, what is your recommendation? So if you go two ounce copper, what do you need to do to your paste? We've actually done slight reductions because of that. Just because we found that with, with the heating profile in our oven, 
a, a slightly smaller aperture. So even a little less paste actually worked out really well for us, mainly because if we had extra paste, then that's more of a thermal load that you're already putting an extra thermal load by having more copper in place. So uh, we do a pretty standard amount of paste for one ounce copper. So a reduction in paste we still have some playroom on that. So mm -hmm. if your copper thickness gets larger, it's been our experience that you reduce the paste a little bit. And uh, and actually, so there is out here in Colorado, there's a, uh, a large stencil manufacturer. In fact, I think the last time I talked to them, they said they are quickly becoming the largest stencil uh, provider in the States. Um, they have an engineering team that is great. Like if I ever have any questions or if I'm not sure on Aperture stuff, I send it to them and they'll do reviews uh, on on aperture stuff, and they've kind of agreed with that, where it's like, okay, well, they're going to do a slight reduction if the copper thickness is larger. That makes sense. Yep. So, just something to keep in mind. That's not like a knob that you can just turn and not have any impacts. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I, I need I need more current. Let's do a six ounce copper pour. You know, that's the one thing that sucks about this kind of like about electronic design is like you change one thing. Like, yeah, it might not have any impact on your circuit or it might have a ton of impact on your circuit and, or it might not have any impact on manufacturing or it might have a ton. Like, you just got to know, you know, it sucks. So. Yeah, hopefully Rev2, I really want to pull the trigger on that by end of November. Uh, we'll see what happens, mainly because I want to get it into the machine that it's supposed to be in by spring next year. And that'd be pretty exciting. So... You know, uh, another quick thing I, I found um, where my buddy at work actually found a pinball part that I didn't know existed. And now I totally want to buy them. Um, so the part. Well, so get this. He he recently built a an, a guitar amp, a Fender Princeton. And a lot of the older guitar amps use little um, incandescent bulbs as the power indicator. Okay. And they're just these little bulbs that you typically just connect directly to the 6.3 volt ac tap and uh, they pull a ton of juice they're like 250 milliamps or something for just that little, little light. Uh, just that little light and they're the old school style that have a uh, kind of like a bayonet with a with the little locking lugs on the side yeah two prongs on them well he was he was perusing the internet looking for alternatives to that and apparently in the pinball world there's those exact same things but they're led and yeah, so they, yeah. they come in the exact same size with the same bayonet and yep. they run on 6.3 volt ac i never knew this i would totally have used that uh a long time ago because i've been buying those incandescent bulbs for a long time just for replacing old amps and stuff so. yeah that, that's actually the big thing in pinball is to swap out your old incandescents for those leds because they're they're brighter and you can actually get them in certain colors so you can like really richen up the color uh spectrum on your pinball play field um like I did on my Congo machine is all LED'd up. Yeah, yeah, and they're not. I mean, they'll last forever, you know. Yeah, and they're not and, that expensive either. Um, and and it's funny because like instead of changing the to an LED in the in the amp world, uh, you just replace the jewel that goes on on top of it with whatever color you want. Like it's it's like a, like a plastic. I don't know. Cover. It's like a little. Well, it's a dome, but it has a bunch of facets on it, so it glows in a unique way. Ah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So. Um, and then I was, uh, talking to, with some of my DEF CON buddies about kind of like other projects, not just badge stuff that we want to do for next year's DEF CON. Mm -hmm. And I had the idea of using my ABC 
which is the automotive butt cooler. <laughs> which we have talked about probably a good five or six times on the podcast. Yeah. And so I was, you know, I was able to reverse engineer how these uh, TEC coolers basically work in high-end cars. Uh, specifically, these are like, these go into like the high-end Ford F-150s, pickup trucks. And they're basically a, 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 a TEC module that's got heat sinks built in and a fan built in. And then depending on the polarity, you can either, you know, put out hot air or put out cold air. Um, so there's a little heater inside of it. Yeah. A little TEC right in there. Yeah. And, um, so I was able to reverse engineer those and get those to work. And I'm thinking is cause you know, it's Defcon's in Vegas, Las Vegas in the worst of it. It is like the beginning of August. <laughs> yeah. It's spicy out there. Um, it was when we landed, it was 114. Hmm. <laughs> And that was the day that uh that was that was the hottest day there, but it didn't drop below 100 until like two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so basically, but it is dry. It is dry, but you still it was it was pretty miserable. And so I'm like, sure for DefCon you don't spend a lot of time outside, but you do have to go outside sometimes. So I'm thinking about making like a like part like make a backpack mount or something, and then a lithium battery, and just have this like blowing on the back of your neck kind of like that um sony was it sony i can't remember because we remember <laughs> there's that shirt that you could buy and you could put you can slip a basically a tec basically almost just like this except mm. it was designed to go into a pocket on your shirt on your back right we talked about that a long time ago yeah so i'm thinking about basically making one of those with an abc Oh, see, I was thinking you were going to have something that was reminiscent of a dryer vent that goes into the back of your pants and cools your butt. <laughs> <laughs> no, just having a nice cold air on your on your neck would be probably pretty good. Yeah. Um, Shoot, you should set up a little booth and sell those. People would probably yeah. buy them and then they'd hack them. Oh, I wonder. I got to see how much how much uh, cooling capacities can actually handle how much wattage. But they make um, motorcycle jackets that have have water built in, so you like plug into your your motorcycle and it cools or heats the water in the mm -hmm. circulation. I wonder if you can do that with like a portable version of that. Can you imagine yeah. just like walking around with a briefcase and you set the briefcase down and you just got hoses going up your <laughs> pant leg in Vegas? That's your life support. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my my father uh, my father has a BMW motorcycle that has that. It's a little port that um, it, it's not for the whole jacket, but it um, it's for gloves. You can get uh, gloves that okay. have that connection on it. Which, if you've ever ridden a motorcycle in like freezing temperatures, like it, it's really useful to have feelings in your fingers it's <laughs> to, to shift. You know. <laughs> yeah. So I, it's like you know when. Um, when the, the Apollo astronauts were coming out of like NASA central control and they're like all suited up and they had that little briefcase with them. That's got all their life support. Oh yeah. Cause they got to pump, you know, air and stuff into their suits until they get hooked into the, 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 the spaceship. Right. Um, that's like this, except for Las Vegas. Cause it's so such an alien world to live in because humans are not 
we're not designed to live in that kind of environment. <laughs> Las Vegas is like our uh, Babylon Tower. <laughs> so wait, you but your briefcase, your briefcase <laughs> could uh, could cool beer also. So it's oh, it's yeah. two things. Yeah, it's a it's dual purpose. Right? Yeah, it's just a big block. Of, uh, the briefcase is just a big block of lithium. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then the about four or five of these ABCs. <laughs> And it just blows cold air out of it. <laughs> well, one end blows hot air, and one blow, blow uh, cold air out. You'd you'd have you'd have a lot of people hanging out with you, you know, just yeah. being your friend the entire time. Okay, uh, another thing I've been working on is, um, of course, once you fix one thing for someone, you that you're like the person that you always fix stuff now, right? Mm-hmm. So I fixed my mom's, you know, the the tiger shark pool cleaner, right? Right. And now I got like eight bazillion projects from my mom that's like, oh, you can fix this thing now, right? <laughs> um, and so uh, she has a electric bicycle that's basically like an electric assist on her bicycle. Mm-hmm. And the 50-volt battery on it failed. And it was within warranty, so the company just shipped out a new one. And they're like, oh, yeah, just like recycle the old one. And it's a 50-volt pack with all 18650s in it. Hmm. So I was able to actually crack it open. Oh, wow. Okay, that's actually bigger than I thought. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty like, big. It's like the size of your thigh. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so I opened it up, and it's actually, it's built okay. Like, it's definitely like, there's some, like, wires that are flopping around and stuff in there, but... Is it all, um, like, tab-welded and stuff like that? Yeah, and and I was able to measure the pack. The pack itself is at 50 volts. So the cells are still good, but I'm not getting any output. So something's wrong with the charging circuit, and it's got a fuse on that charging um, PCB, and so I, I wonder if that's blown or not. I haven't actually gotten that far because basically I opened it up and started poking around, and I can't figure out how to safely disassemble it. <laughs> without blowing it up yeah without like blowing it up and get to the protection circuit because the protection circuit's like buried under like a mass of wires uh, and I, i'm like i'm like okay they had to assemble this some way somewhat safely <laughs> chopsticks man next time you get chinese takeout keep the chopsticks or get an extra pair and that's what you use to like scoot po- things around, around man yeah 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 i've been using like i got some like uh, wooden dowels I use for that, but no, it's, it has to be chopsticks, dude. Wooden dowels don't. Bamboo. Wooden dowels don't work. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's mainly like I don't know, like what do I? Because it's totally like been put together and soldered. It's not designed to be um, user serviceable at all. Even though it wasn't actually glued together, it came apart with like only like six screws. So I was actually really surprised it came apart that easily. But when you get it apart, everything's just kind of gooped and like soldered together into this big oh is there like a lot mass. of elastic all over the place and hot snot yeah. and stuff yeah so I, I gotta get to that basically I need to be able to pull that board off and then check that board all its components make sure it's, everything's working right on it I'm gonna bet you it's that fuse and it's like a it's weird it's like an ATC style automotive fuse and they just like routed slots on the board and then just put it in there and soldered it Really? Like, so it's not even a holder for it. It's just, it's actually soldered into the board. Wait, is the board all through hole or is there any SMT no, on it? It's all SMT 
minus like this one ATC blade fuse. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they just buy a surface mount fuse? I, I don't know. That that's weird. I guess I guess you know it's probably cheaper to do the ATC fuse into slot holes. You know. Yeah, I guess so. It's just uh, weird. That's that's penny pinching. <laughs> yeah. So. I'm, I'm, I, I just need to be able to figure out how to get to it because I can't even look at it directly to see if it's blown or not. And I don't really, it's really hard to put multimeter probes in there too, to see if it's short, uh, open. But um, hopefully by next week, I'm, I'm going to work on that this weekend. Kind of, I'm probably going to do it out in the garage instead of the, in my office. <laughs> so if something does bad happen, I can like kick it into the driveway. <laughs> keep a, keep a fire extinguisher nearby. I don't, you don't have I've a got, fire extinguisher? <laughs> no, I got a fire extinguisher. I'm just trying to think of a fire extinguisher that I could put out a lithium fire. Uh, well, here's a, here's the question for you. Do you have an A, a B, or a C fire extinguisher? I do have an A, B, C out there. Oh, you got the whole the the whole ca- kit and caboodle. Yeah, it's like, it's the ha- Halon. Uh, it's not a Halon one, but it's like the Halon equivalent because you can't buy Halon extinguishers anymore. Uh, well, but, but an A, B, C is rated for electrical fires, right? Yes, but I don't think it might be rated for lithium fires. It could be. I don't know. I have to check. I probably should check before I start poking around more in it, right? <laughs> yeah, might be. Might be worthwhile. <laughs> mainly because what you're jacking with is like serious, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's which, it's actually kind of high voltage, and it's a bunch of energy just stored right there. Yeah, it's enough to hurt. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, I think. I should wear rolling gloves. It's now your kind of job to service things that are according to the manual unserviceable yes exactly yeah. well actually no it's it's your mother's responsibility to give you things that are unserviceable <laughs> yeah the other way around right 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 exactly. <laughs> um and then i was kind of doing some more uh more mechanical work um we've got a uh my dad's got a four-wheeler that i've been kind of maintaining for him for a long time and this time last year, it's hunting season here in Texas right now. And so I rebuilt the whole uh, four-wheeler for him, like rebuilt the carburetor, changed all the oil, oil, all the fluids, put new tires on it, all this stuff. And my dad doesn't even use it. He just parks it <laughs> out course. back behind the garage and throws a tarp over it for like the entire year. And then so this year, he's like, so I think I want to sell that, that four-wheeler. I'm like, okay, great. You know, I get it out. And of course, my dad hasn't touched it at all. So the battery's dead. Charge the battery up. Battery won't hold a charge. So I'm like, well, that's a $35 battery. Have to go buy. Mm-hmm. Pop that new battery back in. Old one off to the recycle plant. It cranks, cranks, cranks. Won't fire. You know, put new fuel in it. Crank, crank, crank. No fire. Um, pull the carburetor out. The carburetor is rusted. Rusted? Like, yeah. All the ethanol just messed up that carburetor wait it wasn't just like it wasn't resinous it was actual rust yeah it actually started rusting the inside of it yeah well that means you got water in in the carburetor well that's what ethanol likes ethanol likes water right but uh, so uh, but i mean like that's not normal so so but uh, i guess i guess you know in houston even under a tarp it's just gonna drink out of the air yep well that's Uh, the thing is that's the that's what ethanol does ethanol will um it was a hydro is a hydroscopic, right? Yeah. Yeah, it likes to absorb water. So it absorbs water, the gasoline vapors off, leaving ethanol and water behind, and that starts rusting stuff and gooping stuff up. 
And so I took it, took the carburetor part, cleaned it out, took the bowl, which is like where uh, that's where all the fuel collects in the carburetor, kind of like a miniature fuel tank for mm-hmm. the carburetor. Um, and I just took like a a, a uh, bristle brush on the drill and <laughs> the whole bowl, <laughs> got it all cleaned out. And it's a I real te- a new technical term there. Yeah. What? <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, it's a verb. It's yeah. just the, a bunch of letter V's. <laughs> yeah. And a T at the end. Oh, you're right. Of course, a T. <laughs> yeah. And so I got that all cleaned out, put it all back together, cleaned everything. It still wouldn't run. And so I'm like, okay, what's uh, I'm like, man, do I have to really buy a rebuild kit for this carburetor? And so I pull it all apart again and notice that like basically the cleaner wasn't getting all the junk off of stuff. Hmm. And and so buying a rebuild kit, yeah, you can you basically get new jets and all that stuff. And but I found there was a trick is to use the uh, use like stranded copper wire, strip the insulation off, and so you get these little thin strands of copper and use the copper as like a brush into the jets because the jets are usually brass, which is harder than the copper. And so you can kind of just like put the copper in and kind of rotate the jet and kind of get all the crust out of there and then mm-hmm. clean it again, put it all back together and it fired right up immediately. Oh yeah. And so I'm like, okay, so I, it's a little trick, right? With a copper wire. And I actually did the same trick because my dad has a, ge- a Honda generator. Same thing happens. My dad like fired it up like two years ago, completely forgot about in the garage. Doesn't run. I took it all apart and then uh, took the uh, jet and s- same thing happened to it. The bowl was rusted up a bit. Everything's crusty inside. Clean it all up. Do a little wire trick. Generator fired right up now. I, I, I think we're at the point where I think my dad isn't very kind to carbureted engines. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like he just lets them sit. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Like so, if you have a carbureted engine, every, you should either dump all the fuel or start it once every I don't know X weeks. Yeah, so I set up a uh, I set up a schedule on my phone for every month to fire up the four wheeler and mm-hmm. the generator. So um, hopefully that never happens again because it's a pain in the butt. Oh, it sucks. Yeah. Yeah, you just smell like gasoline for you know next couple hours, and if you scrub it all off, it just soaks in. Oh yeah, and that and all those all those like resinous boogers that get inside of the carburetor, they're such a pain to clean off. Although, frankly, like I, all my experience have just been using carb dip, where you just pull the carb, get rid of it, all the all the gaskets Plastic and stuff bits, like that. Yeah. yeah, and then you just dip it and come back three days later, and it looks great. Yeah, that's that's why I tried it. Still, wouldn't get that crust off inside those jets. Well. There's a difference between the, the uh, like crust and rust. Like those, yeah. are, those are different <laughs> things. <laughs> you know, one 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 of my uh, best memories is um, my my at my bachelor party. Uh, we we held it out at my buddy's land, and it was we spent three days out there just you know drinking beer, shooting guns, and having fun kind of stuff. And one of the things was like, oh, we were we're we're gonna do some chores around the uh, the land and. Uh, there was a bunch of fallen trees, so we decided to get out the old log splitter and, and chop things up. But of course, we pull it out in the morning, and it doesn't fire up. And we're all standing there like six guys with beers in our hands saying, like, oh, I think it's this, and I think it's this. And then we eventually pull the carburetor apart, and it was just gunked up like crazy. Yeah. So clean exactly that up, and it fires up great, and we chop yep. logs all day long. Yeah, I think is um, 
carburetors aren't as scary as people make them out to be. Um, when I bought the wagon, I hadn't had too much experience with carburetors besides like basically like spray carb cleaner in it and hope it cleaned it, <laughs> you know, um, or, or, or the good old fashioned spray carb clean in it and close it up and start it up as fast as you can. <laughs> yes. Um, Been there. <laughs> so, you know, having rebuilt a couple car, like I think I built rebuilt like four carburetors this year alone. Nice. <laughs> I still have one to go. My dad's chainsaw. Same thing. It's been sitting for like three years. And my dad like pulls it out to chop some some uh cut up some wood in the backyard for the fire and of course doesn't start. I'm like <sighs> Man, I'm I'm actually having uh I'm having carb troubles right now. My my damn weed eater. Uh it was it was originally a Texas weed eater. So, you know, it was used to drinking lots of oxygen. And then, you know, we bring it 5,000 feet up in the air up here in Colorado and the carburetor is not happy. And it's no, I gosh, every time I cut my grass this summer, I had to readjust my carb. Like I still haven't gotten it right. And most of the time, like adjusting carbs is not that hard. You, you can do it by feel uh, mm-hmm. and get pretty close to okay operation, at least something that'll yeah. idle, you know, but, yeah. uh, but this thing is just, oh gosh, it gives me fits every damn time. I'm wondering if I need to change my fuel mix, uh, be- because of the atmosphere up here. Well, yeah, you would be running really rich. Yeah, exactly. There. And it's like choking, trying to get some oxygen in there. Mm-hmm. So I, I might, that might like every little bit of thing I've, I've done to the carburetor has really, it's enough to, to weed my lawn, but I have to adjust it every damn time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's actually what I've noticed with it being actually it's like super cold here in Houston. Mm-hmm. Um it's like actually like right now it's actually 36 degrees outside. Wow. <laughs> so surprisingly, because um, Houston usually doesn't get cold until Thanksgiving week or like well, the day of Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um so I, I and actually the past couple Thanksgivings it's been like seventy eight, so yeah. um, it's gonna be a really cold uh, winter I think here in Houston. But regardless, the wagon needs to be retuned now. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is running super rich, and I'm like, oh man, I don't want to get gas all over me again. <laughs> Modern fuel injection is amazing technology. It, we take it for granted, and yeah, we take it for granted now. The fact that your car starts right up right all the time and doesn't and it runs. More or less perfectly, no matter what's going on out in the outside world. And the brain yeah. box inside is doing all the decision making for you. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's what I've been up to. Oh, and uh, one more thing. I am almost done printing all the parts for my epic noisemaker. Oh, nice. Yeah. 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 I actually, the other day, I watched uh, some YouTube videos of um, those air raid sirens. The 3D printed ones. They're obnoxious. I'm pretty sure everyone at the office is going to hate you. <laughs> yeah, I got I got all the big pieces, so I just gotta print the small pieces now. And, you know, there uh, there was an interesting Hackaday article the other day that uh is kind of cool. Uh somebody 3D printed a <clears throat> gosh. Uh I, I, effectively it was a Hammond organ, but uh they made a tone wheel where they actually printed like a, a cog and then put it in in front of a pickup and then they were able to play tones by just spinning the wheel and depending on the number of teeth on the wheel you could adjust the frequency well the number of teeth and how fast you 
you mm-hmm. rotated it, which is which is the concept of an old Hammond organ where basically each key had its own cog and its own pickup. Uh, that's why you could hammer a Hammond organ and it would play all the notes that you played because each single note had its own pickup and its own wheel. But it was pretty cool that like someone was able to get something pretty functional actually out of out of what they were doing which was basically just a shaft and a cog you know Mm -hmm. so go check that out pretty cool so i've been uh i've been working a little bit more on uh my beer monitoring device in fact i got a bunch of parts in um a good chunk of stuff for uh, parker's version of it um, I, I have got a little bit more progress on the screen, although I did put that aside because I was pissed off about it. For those who, <laughs> for those who kind of remember, uh, a few weeks ago, like I, I was having troubles with displaying things on this stupid screen, and I've got, I've got it where I can display pixels, but it's not perfect yet. Um, and I actually got a second uh, screen in, which I frankly haven't taken out of the box yet because i haven't had a need for it but i should actually plug that second one in and just make sure everything is kosher with it Mm -hmm. uh one of the things i have been working on falls out of warranty right yeah right yeah from (laughs) buydisplay.com they look like a website that has a great warranty (laughs) (laughs) i i kid they because we've actually bought stuff from them before uh and had a lot of good success in fact one of the things that's nice about that website is um they kind of curate their displays pretty well in terms of if you buy a display and there's peripherals that go with it like a connector or uh, even a cable that is for like a touchscreen or something like that, they'll provide the cable or they'll suggest this connector or things, which is super nice because a lot of times you you get a display and then it's up to you to figure that crap out. Um, but by display, you can buy them together, which is super nice. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the things I've been working on is the stack up and the um, like where all the components are going to end up on the on the faceplate. Because I want to uh, get that faceplate on the mill soon and actually like chop stuff up. Um, a good chunk of the schematic is done, uh, which for this kind of project, it's it, this is one of those ones. It's it's fun where like you can do the schematic a large portion of it before actually making decisions on things. Like I know it has a processor. I know it has these peripherals. I know it has this power kind of thing, and I can just like plop down things without like having to think very deeply about them uh which is kind of nice so a good chunk of the schematic is done um and uh, i'm moving to doing solid state relays for connecting uh or for switching all the power um, Mm -hmm. or turning the refrigerators on and stuff are they going to be board mounted or like mounted in the case on a heat sink or how, how are you going to do that? So that's one of the things I haven't figured out yet. And in fact, you know, if anyone has any suggestions on that, or if you do, you know, I, I, I did look at the power consumption that these things would have. So, you know, when they're off, there's no current flowing. So I'm not worried about them dissipating too much heat when they're on their on resistance is low enough that I think maximum they'll dissipate something like two and a half Watts, which is not, you know, that's not a small amount of heat, but it's also not, that much especially given the size and how beefy these uh solid state relays are so the thing is i was thinking i could just make a large pcb and then bolt the solid state relays to the pcb yeah and then you and have a big copper plane that dissipate the heat yeah yeah that was that was my thought um 
and and that could be fairly similar to the just mounting them directly to the chassis. What's nice about that too is then the like all the mounting hardware can be internal to the enclosure. Like if I mount them to the enclosure, then I would have to figure out like, oh, I've got a bolt sticking through the chassis. Like, do I de- how do I deal with that? Or do I even deal with that? Do I even give a, a hoot, you know, to that? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I do, typically on the stuff that I design, I tend to avoid like a visible nut and bolt hanging out just because it's unsightly. And mm-hmm. on top of that, it adds to, <laughs> well, like if you wanted to flush mount this thing to your wall or something, I wouldn't want a nut sticking off the back of it because that's a yeah. pain in the ass to deal with. So I'm leaning towards the PCB side. You know, uh, that sort of brings up uh, an interesting thing. What, if you've ever dealt with these solid state relays before, these are the ones I'm getting the like the generic ones that you can find on like Amazon and stuff like that. They uh, they work pretty well for uh these applications i've used them a handful of times in in beer brewing and some other stuff and they're great for switching on uh ac signals and mains controlling mains and stuff the the one thing that sucks is that big chunk of metal on the back of them that's clearly for dissipating heat um they don't necessarily say if that's connected to something or not uh hmm. i've noticed at least i've looked at a handful of data sheets and there wasn't anything saying like watch out there's mains on this because like sometimes when you when you, you deal with packages like uh, you know to 220 mosfets and things like that they'll be like watch out the collector or the drain is connected to the tab so don't just go bolting it to something randomly or you're gonna have or a, bolt a bunch of them together right 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 exactly yeah. uh so with these relays so the question is if the data sheet doesn't say, what do you assume? Like, are you going to have a bad day if you make a bad assumption? Uh, you know, I would think that, not think, I've, I've looked up on forums and things like that, and people are like, yeah, it's just it's just a dissipation pad, so it's not actually connected to anything like that. But it's like, man, shouldn't the data sheet include that with how critical this could be because like what if that was connected to mains and they didn't say it or what if you connected mains to the relay and then you bolted this to some big steel thing like man that's a fire hazard waiting to happen Mm -hmm. like they should at least like just put a note on the data sheet well they have we found a a solid state or have we found a device that had a critically connected thermal pad that they didn't say what it was connected to or is it one of those it's only matters when it matters so if it doesn't have it then you can assume it's safe right i don't know like i, I would think so that would make sense but that's still rolling the dice in my mind like if you don't know you don't know until you know and so like never assume that you know if that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> like if it's not explicit then figure it out like buy one and test it uh you know don't just you say ah this will be fine and then build it into your product and then find out that yeah it's not fine (laughs) (laughs) so regardless yeah i know i i did a bunch of research and and found people saying like yeah it's like they're just thermal pads yeah it's just thermal pads also like I, i you could follow the rabbit hole on this and um a lot of times these things are sold with aluminum heat sinks that they bolt to mm-hmm. and they're not anodized and they're not painted and they're not uh, electrically isolated. So 
there's some you know follow the follow the path there yeah and then they get connected to a din rail yeah yeah exactly and then all the din rails are connected yeah yeah but still i think that the data sheet should should say one way or the other in fact some some data sheets are are really good where they're like this is a thermal pad but it's connected to stuff and we're not going to tell you what it's connected to just make sure it's ground you know like sometimes (laughs) they say that and i really appreciate that it's like great you told me what to do and I can be confident in this. Well, you could go down the rabbit hole then. It's like, then should it say everything that it's not? This real solid state relay is not a nuclear weapon. Oh, well, but I don't know. <laughs> like, it's a connection point. There's only five connection points on a solid state relay, four of which you're really confident about and one you're not. And they're like, <laughs> <laughs> you should be confident about the fifth one. So, but I don't know. That one's, that one's, pretty obvious if you ask me so yeah i think i'm probably gonna go with the pcb route and then just um mill um air vent um air vents in the in slots the, the um, case because i don't care like I, it's it's not really gonna be in a wet environment or anything where i where it really matters and the way that these will all be oriented if i put holes in the bottom and the top then it'll naturally have vertical airflow uh, so it'll sort of have a little bit of um, airflow ag- uh, across that, but <clears throat> you know, with with a two watt dissipation maximum, I'm not super worried about anything. Like a big copper plane is more than enough. <laughs> Should be fine. Yep. And uh, and then I'll get the cases on the on the mill soon. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Yep. Cool. On to the RFO. Onto the RFO, the rapid fire opinions. Yes, rapid fire opinions. So we haven't done a podcast that's just Steve and I in a long time. So we haven't had RFOs in a while. So we kind of kind of a little little bit of backlog, and some of these might be a little expired in terms of timeliness, I guess. But um, we're going to do it anyways. (laughs) So one of my favorite articles that came out last month was "Check Your Halloween Candy for Malicious Payloads" from Hackaday. And so we've always heard the story. Our, our parents would always tell us, watch out in that candy that you get on Halloween because they'll have razor blades in it or something like that. Right? You, know, you know, the one that really gets me is the one where it's like people are sneaking drugs into your candy. Like, OK, as soon as you get who older, gives away drugs, who gives away? Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, that's so expensive. Like, no, people do not put drugs in candy. Sorry. Like, yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I remember um I remember like the, the hospitals used to have like free x-rays for Halloween night where you could like take your bag of candy and they would x-ray it for you to find things like that. Razor <laughs> like, blades? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was ridiculous. I don't know. I, I think um, I think there that was some fear mongering from from the media and it worked really well. <laughs> yeah. I would say this is more possible in the real in real life so basically the uh, the idea would be you would give away a whole bunch of thumb drives that gave free game codes to like Fortnite and whatever and kids would just plug it into their computer and then bam infected right mm-hmm. basically what they did um digital to, uh, razor blades yeah digital, <laughs> digital razor blades yeah <laughs> Uh, that's gonna be the podcast title oh I, i'm writing it right now <laughs> you know that would be digital razor blades could be like a um synth band that is like uh judas priest oh geez that's a that's a that's an interesting combo i, I yeah 
I kind of want to go and like make something about <laughs> breaking the law, but with all sins. Yes. Um, I think the only reason why that comes to mind is the uh, Judas Priest has a album cover that's got a razor blade on it. Uh, British British Steel. British Steel. Yeah. Is that is that Priest? I should know that. That should be. I should be right. Am I not? For some reason, I was thinking that's Maiden, but that that no, it's British. Yeah, that's Priest. British Steel. Yeah, of course. Okay. okay. Yep. An album that came out before I was born. <laughs> what, 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 yeah, what year was that? 1980. April 14th, 1980. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> before both of us being born. It's a great, it's a great album. I, I should have known that right off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, so I think this is more possible because mainly because you can get thumb drives for like really cheap. So they're not expensive like drugs. <laughs> and it's totally an easy way to infect computers. So. Yeah. But the thing is. Have you ever found a thumb drive just lying around outside? Um, no. I don't think I've ever found one. So it's not like people are actively trying to use this method to spread malicious software. <laughs> but I could totally see it being like wrapped up in like a candy wrapper, you know, where you have to like un undo it. And then there's like <laughs> USB, like a USB Tootsie Roll inside. <laughs> I don't think people are eating these thumb drives, Stephen. <laughs> no, I'm saying the wrapper. Like, actually, like, do it up and, like, make it look really ah, nice. Ah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Not gotcha. just, like, randomly throw USB sticks in, in some kid's bag. At, at kids? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, like, I don't know. Like, there was the whole, like, that person in the neighborhood who gave away apples and crap like that. And it's like, really? Like, really? You're going to impose your your Apple belief system upon my Halloween. It's, I kind of feel like that's the digital version of that. Like, really? You're going to put your USB stick in my bag? Come on, man. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All um, right. On to the next one. Uh, next one. Uh, Yagio is buying Kemet. Yay. This is one Yay. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, for one, this is the most interesting. It's one point eight billion dollar ruse. So mm. that's a lot of money. You know, Parker and I were talking about this earlier. Uh, is it Yagio, Yagio, Yagio? Like, how do you, how, I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, Maybe it's Yugio, but Yagio. Yugio. <laughs> uh, so I actually really like Yagio because they have uh, th we use their passives a lot at work. And I quote them all the time. And uh, what's nice is like the entire 0603 line of resistors that we have of them. Like we we probably have basically every E96 value of Yagio resistors. So when it comes to quoting, if a customer doesn't like, if a customer is fine with substitutes, I'm I'm like, yes, this is awesome because it makes my my quoting go so much faster because I can just be like <laughs> Yagio everything. Here's a default price for all your resistors, and I've you know, half of the work is done already. Yeah, half your work's done. Yeah, and I like if they buy Kemet, awesome. Do that same thing to capacitors, please. Yep. And I'll buy every value you have. So, I'm thinking this is spurred by our podcast. Oh yeah, you Kemet, think so? Kemet heard our podcast and was like, "Man, we got to sell." <laughs> <laughs> we gotta nice. get out of the business right yeah, away. Yeah, no, no, this is it. Like that was the end. Like 
yeah. Kemet's whole business is dependent upon how well this podcast goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two episodes ago. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, well, hopefully uh, the merger goes well and, you know, we all get cheaper prices. Mm. <laughs> and and, and like that always happens in mergers. <laughs> well, n- not only I don't I, honestly, I don't care about cheaper prices. I care about like do the, do what you did with your resistors, Yagio. Like make like a really nice line that's just really easy to use and just like has the same part numbers for everything. And I don't know, that'd be yeah. nice for me. Cool. So uh, Hackaday had an article uh, earlier this week about the USI MT7697H, which is a thrilling part number, but basically it's a development kit for the Alexa, uh, the Amazon Alexa stuff. So about a year ago, they announced that there would be some kind of actual hardware development kits available, and they kind of hinted at it, and there wasn't anything to show. Well, now there is and if you uh we'll post a link on if you want to go check it out on our show notes uh you can actually purchase the hardware now for uh developing your circuitry for uh for the amazon alexa what's cool is it's arduino zero compatible and so you can program alexa stuff directly from the uh ide from arduino rde that's um, neat so on board, it has 192 megahertz Cortex M MCU and Wi-Fi Bluetooth module all as one. Uh, so you kind of get like everything all together, and it works as a shield for the Arduino. The only downside to all of it is it's $196 or $197. So you have to be a little bit more serious about uh, doing it. Your it's hardware not, development. It's not just something that you you just pick up to just try out you know unless you got 200 bucks to throw around my favorite thing is the customers who viewed this also viewed a christmas tree and a coffee maker hmm what what okay what is alexa christmas (laughs) tree and coffee maker like how do those connect also how many how many people have to view those items to be the recommended items from i don't know hmm Okay, so if you were if you were to create something that was voice controlled with Alexa, that had to involve a Christmas tree and a coffee maker, what would it be? Uh, all three at once? Yeah, it'd have to it, it'd have to somehow be all three at once. I would. I've got it. So you had the Christmas tree set up, right? Mm-hmm. And then your kids always want to get you up early on Christmas, right? Mm-hmm. So you just have the you you can have your smart coffee maker, right? It's in a box underneath the tree, right? Yeah. But you have it all smart controlled. So as you wake up going down the stairs, you can have it. The box is already like you have it all set up inside. So it's already brewing the coffee. And so when they unwrap it, you get a present of having an already fresh brewed coffee already there. Damn, that's smooth. That's really good. <laughs> I like that. Every every gift your kid opens, you get a cup of coffee. Cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You, you know, um, what comes to mind, get this. Here's a good one. You modify a coffee pot where it holds cookie dough, but it holds like cookie dough that's really... No, no, no. It, Parker's giving me a weird face. No, get this. 
It's, it, it has cookie dough, but it's like a really <laughs> like watery cookie dough. So it's like it's like pancake. It's like pancake batter. Dough. Exactly. <laughs> and then what you can do is you say, Alexa, make me a Christmas tree cookie. And it would squirt it out onto the hot plate of the of the uh, coffee maker and automatically cook you Christmas tree cookies. <laughs> oh man! Welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I I just view this as as Jeff Bezos getting one more data point about your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. So yeah, if you want to if you want to develop hardware to sell people's data, like follow the link and buy yes. this. The thing that the thing that's really cool about it though is is the fact that it has like a pretty beefy MCU on it with Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I suppose well, and on top of that, it's an Arduino shield and you can program it with the Arduino IDE. So, you know, if two hundred bucks isn't a problem, you might be able to actually use it for something else. <laughs> I d- also the pictures that shows because it has like the shield and then the next shows like the kit and stuff and then it just shows an LED. <laughs> you can like, LED yes, we with have this. A, we include a T3 LED. Yeah, for yeah, no lie. It's it's <laughs> it's not even a picture of an LED with the thing. It's just a picture of an LED. An LED. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're just proving to you that it's electronic in some way. Yes. You can make that LED blink. I bet you that's the first project is to make that LED blink. Alexa, turn on LED. <laughs> yeah, but somebody buys this thing and expects the LED and it's the LED's just sitting on their bench and they're like, why doesn't it light up? I'm telling Alexa to make it light up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I do wonder, like I'm looking at the board now and um, they chose matte black for the solder mask on it. I wonder why they did that. Like, what's the purpose of going matte black on something like that? Because it looked cool. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think with, um, I really like green for development boards because they're so easy to see the traces. And sometimes it's nice to actually, like, look at it trace. and see where something goes. And matte black is, like, the worst for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe we they can't don't see want anything you to, on matte black. Yeah, they don't want you to reverse engineer it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure, that's why. Right. They don't want you to reverse engineer it, but they just want you to get, they want your data. So they, they sell you, data. but they sell you the hardware kit to get your data. <laughs> oh, geez. Sorry, Jeff Bezos, if you're listening right now. Okay. What's the next RFO? Okay. The next RFO is plea deal for man who sold fake chips to U.S. military. And uh, I think the most interesting thing about this is just like the sentence that this guy's going to have. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, okay. So, but but before we get to the sentence, like, what is it? Like, what is okay. So, this person had a company that he called PRB Logics. That he basically took ICs that were old, used, or discarded, or whatever, and then basically counterfeited chips with them by uh, scrubbing off the the laser markings and stuff, and then putting their his own markings on them. Uh, most of them were like higher end ICs, like FPGAs and stuff. Which is kind of like, wouldn't that get caught on really quickly? This guy was doing it for like 15 years almost. <laughs> they called like, it sanitized versions of ICs. Yeah. Oh, no, no, that was the data sheets that he would get. Mm-hmm. He would get full data sheets and then he would get, and then he would make sanitized data sheets that he would give to his customers, which were basically all the bad 
data is scrubbed out of him. But yeah, he was been selling them since July 29, uh, 2009. So actually 10 years. You would think like after like the first batch of parts you get from this dude, they're bad. You would figure out, hey, these are probably counterfeit and we should go bust this guy. But no, 10 years later, finally get around to it. Um, 60 years in prison. That doesn't even include what the monetary value he's going to have to pay. I mean, what monetary value? Like, he's lost everything, right? Like, Yeah, I mean, I that's mean that's six it. years in prison, you pretty much lost everything. Yeah, you lost everything. Yeah. Wow. Um, and the best is when you go to prblogics.com, uh, it's got a really great uh, <laughs> image from our amazing U.S. government. <laughs> Oh yeah, you would you would think with how much we pay in taxes they could make a better image than this, but apparently it looks like uh, they his website has been seized by uh, Homeland Security Investigations, and they just posted like a a really crappy image up there, just basically but like, saying it's that's it. <laughs> so there's like a text block, and that looks okay, whatever. But like the images of like the emblems from whatever you know, three-letter agencies have seized this website. They're all squashed in different ways. <laughs> it looks... No, it really looks like this was made in paint. You know, it was. Yeah, probably <laughs> No, seriously, like, everything... Is, it looks like a paint image. It's so great. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, yeah. What, what does this say down here? Uh, let's see here. Intentionally and knowingly trafficking in counterfeit goods is a federal crime that carries penalties for first-time offenders of up to 10 years in federal prison. Well, I guess he's not a first-time offender, right? I uh, guess not. And a $2 million fine. Wow. Okay. So Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. <laughs> but, it, but it does bring up, you know, that is... So his chips must have worked somewhat, you know? Yeah, get away with it for 10 years? Well, yeah. It's not like you're going to... It's not like they set them on the shelf for 10 years and then decided to use them and be like, hey, I think these are counterfeit. I mean, we are talking about the U.S. government. Yeah, maybe you never know, right? Yeah, they're, they're just they're just planning for the future, or maybe they do projects like you and I do. So, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it takes ten years to it do a project. It takes ten years to finish one. Yeah, probably a bit of, bit of everything there. Yeah. So, don't sell fake chips to the government. Don't sell fake chips to anyone. But no. But if you sell them to the government, you might get sixty years in prison and, and a two million dollar fine. Yeah, so that's, a that's lot the money. that's the moral of that story. Yes. <laughs> so the last one is just a quick kind of update because I think it's worth saying in general. But the uh, the Raspberry Pi four has had a bunch of its issues fixed, which you know, like Parker mentioned, we're kind of late to the game on this. Uh, this happened a, a good bit ago, July seventeenth. But Hackaday had a, an article about this just few days ago um but the a lot of the issues that plagued the raspberry pi on its launch date have now been fixed and what's kind of cool is they they were fixed with just an update package uh as opposed to a hardware spin which i i expect that there probably will be like a raspberry 4 plus that fixes a lot of the hardware issues but some of the things that were plaguing it were like uh, overheating um, and and some reset issues. Uh, but what's kind of cool is is in this update package, not only did they fix a lot of those issues, they actually added uh, some new features that make it kind of nice. You can now actually overclock your Raspberry Pi 4, which 
it's strange. It's like, okay, wait, you were having troubles with it overheating before. Why are you adding overclocking now? Well, a lot of the heat issues that were coming were actually due to USB power consumption. Uh, the heating issues were more the USB than the processor running itself. Uh, so they now have an option where you can go into a USB low power mode, which for, for most users, that's probably actually what you would want to run in half the time. So um, that significantly reduced the overheating issues with the, with the Pi. And it actually runs so cool now that overclocking is an option. Uh, so, hey, that's cool. Give that uh, to people. The other, the other uh, thing is they fixed a lot of the um, reset issues. So there's some third-party hats that you can put on the Raspberry Pi that toggle uh, the 3.3-volt line, which would just cause a reset uh, when you plugged it in or when you powered the hat. Uh, and so it's a bit more immune to that now. So I don't know exactly how they fix that, but something in software made it such that they could ignore those things. Uh, and then the last thing that's kind of they cool, probably just disabled the brownout reset, probably, <laughs> or or put some kind of a delay in it uh, of yeah. some sort. Uh, the last thing that's kind of cool, and this is uh, a, a bit more intriguing to me, booting over network is now a possibility. So you don't have to have an SD card necessarily in the Pi hmm. to actually boot from. So you could boot over a network or you could boot um, off a USB stick now. Uh, so like true Linux, you know, do the USB boot thing. But the booting over network is super cool because if you ever needed to make updates, then you can just push them locally on whatever server you have. And that's kind of cool. So for like permanent installations that becomes a lot more um, feasible and a lot cooler. Cause then you don't have to just rely on an SD card sitting around somewhere. Uh, yeah. So like if you have like a smart fixture, like in the wall somewhere, um, as long as it has an ethernet cable, or I guess maybe even uh, Wi-Fi, if it works over that. Um, yeah. Boot over Wi-Fi. I would think that would take forever, but I don't know. Maybe that would be kind of cool. Uh, honestly, like what, what, what I think that that really opens up for is if you do power over ethernet and you have the pies connected to like a local hub or something, now you just need the pie and an ethernet cable effectively. That's kind of cool. If you ask me, it like, like really opens up the capability for permanent installation stuff and, mm -hmm. and remote maintenance, which we we've done a little bit of that actually back in the day at Macrofab, and it was a pain in the butt. Uh, yes, it kind of sucked. So, you know, this would make it a lot nicer. Yeah. Yeah. Power of Ethernet. Bam. Good go. Yeah. That's basically all you need. So actually, yeah, if you wanted to make like, I don't know, even, even something as simple as like a, uh, well, maybe it's not simple, but like a, a weather station or a sensor sensor gathering thing, a power over Ethernet to a Pi to the sensor. What I mean, done effectively, yep. right? That's cool. I like that. Cool. Actually, that's um brings up an interesting uh topic. Is um I'm working on that. Uh, I haven't worked on it in, in the past couple of weeks, but that compressor IoT project. Mm -hmm. Um, after that, uh, I'm going to be building a weather station for down in Galveston, uh, mainly for like tracking environmental stuff so that I can find when's the best to go fishing. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> go down there. Yeah. Um, It'll send you push notifications. Go fish now. Go fish now. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, that's, that's, uh, that's the thing is like, you know, my dad's been trying to figure out like 
when are ideal conditions to go fishing and stuff. And he's never collected like all the data at once to see if, oh, we caught fish this night or we didn't catch fish. Um, I know in the end, it's like whether or not the fish are there or not is what really matters, right? <laughs> so yeah. you can have all the ideal settings and the, the thing says go fish and there's no fish, right? Right. Um, but uh, having a Raspberry Pi running the brain and then just having to run a PoE over to it would make installation a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that you don't have to worry about one cable because you'd have to, you know, you have to run conduit basically out there because it's going to be exposed to the elements. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to run only like you only have to run like a you can run a you know half inch PVC for the conduit instead of having to run you know a one inch tube right to get you know power and a uh, Ethernet or uh, yeah Ethernet cable down it. Right, and if you can boot over Ethernet, then you just uh, you could do everything from your house in uh, in Houston. Exactly. And do your development there. Yep. That's the way to do it. Pretty neat. Pretty neat. <laughs> so we're running a little long on time today, so I think we will end this episode. I think this is a pretty good spot. Yeah. Cool. Man, I can't believe we're almost at 200. 200. Yep. Oh, we should say... Uh, so episode 200, and then after that... We're going to have our on. I'm pulling up our schedule. Oh, Star Wars is coming up. Yeah, Star Wars is coming up. Um, so we can talk about that real quick. What we're going to do, because it's going to be a little bit different this year. Yeah, we're throwing a little bit of a monkey. So Star Wars is going to be episode 204. Okay. Yeah. Because that's after episode nine. <laughs> The episode nine, the Star Wars episode nine. Yeah, Star Wars after Star Wars episode nine, the movie comes yeah. out. Yeah, we'll have Star Wars episode, which would be episode two or four for the map, um, because we want to talk about that that movie mainly because you know we want to talk about the tacking out that kind of stuff. But I think we're going to open up to other sci-fi tropes of technology as well, just to kind of expand um, what we can talk about. And I think we're going to have Roz on. Yep. And we're going to have Hyron of Anot Exoron. Yeah. And Josh, too. Right, guys? Like the rise of Josh Walker. Right? Anyone? It's going to be a lot of fun. And then episode 206, actually 205. So episode 205 is recorded on the 31st. So we should do that one on new year like at midnight <laughs> so should we start it no we should start it at we should do an extra long episode for that so it's it, like at the beginning it's new year's for me and then an hour later it's new year's for you <laughs> We're, so you we, we can time, time travel zones. how does it work yeah how does it work <laughs> so we can straddle two time zones with uh episode 205 all right that's for new year that's not time zones but that's cool yeah we could do that <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. We'll start it right when I have New Year's and then we and then we end it when you have New Year's. The 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 nineteen twenty podcast. Yeah. Wait, nineteen twenty. You're in you're in two thousand twenty and I'll be in two thousand nineteen. That's not how that works. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's finish this thing. Yeah, let's finish this episode.
Uh, that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Doman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Stephen know. Tweet us at MacFab or at Longhorn Engineer or at Analog ENG or email us at podcast at macfab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. If you don't know what Slack is, it's a chat program. Uh, you get the invite by going to macfab.com slash Slack, or just go to macfab.com, and then there's links all over the website about Slack. Click one of those. You'll get the invite. Come join our amazing community. We have over 400 people in there now that are engineers just like you. If you're not subscribed to this podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest episode right when it releases. And please review us on iTunes as it helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us.